Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Life show, it is U.S. Open week. In fact, the 123rd U.S. Open underway, of course, this week at the Los Angeles Country Club. How much fun has it been to get to know the Los Angeles Country Club better as the week progressed to see this absolutely beautiful facility, which is, incidentally, uber private, but they have opened those gilded gates this week to all of us to take in. How about this? 10,187 entries to this 123rd U.S. Open. That is the most all time. The North Course, as the week has progressed, we have gotten to know better and better and better. 7,421 yards, which, okay, you look at that and go, it's long, but it's not crazy long. Wait a minute. It's a par 35, 35, par 70 in what is an incredibly unique mix. Five par threes. You've got some short ones. You've got super long ones. Same thing kind of with uh, the par fours as well. Some par fours that are drivable. It's the collars around the bunkers that are, look at that shot, that are particularly penal and causing a lot of attention this week because that's kind of a fescue grass mix. And there you could see some of the barrancas that have come into play. How about some of the past winners of this U.S. Open as we celebrate its 123rd edition? There you can see Matt Fitzpatrick last year at the Country Club, one of the great shots of all time. It was a nine iron out of that bunker on the last day, perfectly struck. In 2021, it was John Rahm at Torrey Pines back here in California in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau just overpowered Wingfoot in 2019 again. Back in California, Northern California this time as Gary Woodland won on the iconic Pebble Beach. In 2018, it was Brooks Kepka at Shinnecock Hills in what was a very difficult golf course. So difficult that the USGA basically apologized for setting it up too tough. In 2017, Brooks Kepka at Aaron Hills, and you could see there, of course, that Brooks Kepka making history and going back-to-back. The part of that that was so cool for me is after he won for the second time in a row at Shinnecock, he was actually interviewed by Curtis Strange, the guy who did it the time before. And before Curtis Strange did it, the last one that did it was none other than Ben Hogan. In 2016, it was Dustin Johnson at Oakmont in 2015. Jordan Spieth, of course, at Chambers Bay when he was able to triumph over the misstep of DJ the year prior. In 2014, it was Martin Keimer at Pinehurst on that baked summer golf course that just seemed to get better when it became more and more inland links-like. And then in 2013, of course, Justin Rose at the Marion Golf Club, another storied and historic venue, all of them. We're great entertainment. There is no doubt about that. Okay, so this week, of course, you had a lot of players coming in. What we love to do is we love to have you guys 
hear from the players at the start of the week. We love to have you guys know what mindset was at the start of the week. And then you be the judge as to how that plays out. Does it serve them or did it cause a crash and burn in retrospect? First off is Brooks Kepka. Now, with all the news that has taken place in the golf news cycle in the past, what, week and a half, these players came in, and you're going to have a, a, some themes here that, we, that weave their way through all this sound. Now, bear in mind the sound that I'm playing for you was before any players knew about Jay Monahan's uh, medical incident. So the first question that Brooks Kepka gets asked was about this, what they called merger, of course, between the PGA Tour and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and, and the DP World Tour and that umbrella covering the DP or the DP world tour, the PGA tour and the uh, live tour as well. Now Brooks Kepka being Brooks Kepka answered it and all of these questions in his Brooks Kepka way, which shows you the mindset of the five time major champion coming in. Uh, I don't think there's really been too much animosity between players in general. I think that's, that's been a lot more constructed from the media side than the player side, but, uh, I haven't paid too much attention to it, honestly. I've been trying to prep for this week. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I come into a major championship. There's four weeks a year that I really, really care about, and this is one of them, and um, you know, want to play well. So I wasn't going to waste any time on, on any news that happened last week. I saw it. I was at, sitting at Grove um, at the bar there uh, having breakfast, and I uh, saw it on TV, watched uh, a little bit of the interview, and then that was it. Just went out and practiced. Uh, yeah, I think there was. It was just kind of because uh, we didn't hear anything about it. That's kind of, I think, the one thing that shocked everybody the most. Um, I think I ran into Ricky and JT about after watching the whole thing, and they were asked if they knew, and they said they didn't know either. So they were kind of learning about it. They were on the back of the range. Um, so I probably saw them 30 minutes after, I guess, the news broke. I think I've said it. It's. The more chaotic things get, the easier it gets for me. Everything starts to slow down, and um, I'm able to focus on whatever I need to focus on while everybody else is dealing with distractions, worrying about other things. I think there's a few of them, but um, I think it's definitely one of them. I, I, I enjoy the chaos. I mean, I'm, like I said, I, I'm not going to go into the future. I don't have a crystal ball with me, but um, I'm just worried about the U.S. Open. If I can get to number six pretty quick, that'd be nice. I just I have my own routine. That's it. It's plain and simple. I've, I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what it takes to compete in majors. Um, I've won five of them and been what second four times, and and just over my track record and how to prepare when you're here, how to prepare when you're home for it, and um, I've got that, I guess, online. So it's no different playing a live schedule going into these majors. Just golf, man. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always, right, There's you, you have your favorite events. Um, like, I've always enjoyed Waste Management. I thought that was a fun event. But uh, I think that's that kind of goes into the whole thing with, like, the chaos, right? Like, it's there's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of things going on um, where it's a lot of fun to play, and I, that's, I've enjoyed it. I've won there twice. Um, you know, that's, that's one place I, I guess I've missed playing. Um, but, yeah, I'd have to go through the whole schedule. I mean, Memphis, I've always played well. There's, cert- there's certain events, right, you've always liked. Um, even Dunhill. I've always liked Dunhill. I thought that was a fun event. Um, I mean, St. Andrews is my favorite course in the whole world, so I'll take any chance I can get to go play there. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You got, I mean, we see some of the guys that just live in Jupiter and um, play the same courses. We see those guys, but I mean, there's certain guys like, for instance, like John Rom. He didn't live down there, so I don't get to see him too much and get to hang with him. Um, Scotty, kind of same thing. It's uh, it's those guys that aren't in Jupiter. You, you kind of miss seeing and playing against them. Growing up, right? Because at the end of the day, I think the one thing that was always kind of harped on me was you knew how many majors Jack, you knew how many Tiger has, you knew how many Arnold Palmer has, you knew how many Gary Player, you knew how many Watson, all these legends, but I never knew how many PGA Tour events or wins they had total. But I could tell you each going down the list how many each of them have won. So that was kind of, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? That's that's what you're judged on. It's major championships. You look at basketball, um, you judge on how many championships you've won, not how many how many games you won. Um, same thing in every sport. Yeah, it's not. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's better than four. Looking for five. <laughs> um, so that's definitely a lot better. But yeah, it's. Like I said, uh, double digits. That's that's what I'm trying to get to. I think it's. Um, I don't think it's out of the question for me. I think the way I've I've prepared, the way I've kind of suited my game for for these things is um, it's going to help me. And like I said, I'm only 33, so I've definitely got quite a bit of time. I just got to stay healthy and keep doing what I'm doing. Really amazing comments coming in by Brooks Kepka, and it's hard to disagree with him with the the logical way that he presented it, whether we're talking about Brooks or not, in this case, obviously, he was talking about himself. But nonetheless, even if you step away from Brooks individually, that greatness in the game of golf is still primarily being measured by major championships. Uh, Will there come a day that other variables come into it? Possibly, probably. You know, I'm thinking about like, you know, Olympic gold medals. Uh, I'm sure the PGA Tour desperately wants FedEx Cup championships to be recognized as something extremely special. And to the players, they've they've told us that it is. Uh, Players championships, things of that nature. But right now, and hopefully it's the way it's going to be going forward because it gives us a measure against time, against all-time greats, it's major championships, right? So... Scotty Scheffler is one that everybody kept a close eye on uh, throughout the course of the season and rolling through the major championships. Coming into uh, this week at the U.S. Open at the L.A. Country Club, Scotty Scheffler was number one in multiple areas of distinction in strokes gained and otherwise, and he was high up in the rankings of total driving, which, again, is a combination of both distance and accuracy. So when Scotty Scheffler came into the press room on Tuesday, uh, the first thing he was asked about is what philosophy he had about the one area of his game that was not as strong as everywhere else. That area of his game, kind of surprising coming into the week, was putting. And so he's asked about his philosophy about the same and loyalty, which has been a word that's been bantered around a lot in the last week and a half. Loyalty, in this case, to a putter. I mean, I I don't ever take decisions on switching equipment lightly. Um, I think uh, it's strange that I've been struggling the past few weeks with my putter. Um, Being the last two, the PGA actually felt like I rolled it pretty good. A few putts here or there that lipped out that should have gone in. Uh, Memorial obviously had an off week on the greens or else I probably would have won that one. But 
I mean, sometimes just got to bring another putter around there to make the original one scared. Um, I'm not, I've never really been one to try and overthink things, so I try and keep things as simple as possible. And so I looked at that one that's a little bit bigger, and I'm still, you know, kind of undecided on what, what I think of it. I would say it depends on the club. I think if you're looking at like a driver or irons, it's probably a little bit of different discussion. Putting is such a weird thing. Sometimes you, when you're on the green, sometimes when you feel good, you feel like you're never going to miss. And then sometimes when you feel terrible, you feel like you're never going to make. And so putting is just so different than the rest of the game. And so when it comes to switching putters, I think it's, it's all personal. I try and focus on it as little as possible. When when you're out there competing, I think when you're doing your best, you're kind of just flowing and letting things happen. And so putting is different because it's one of those things that has, you know, finality attached to it. Whereas if I hit a really good six iron, um, sometimes it's going to go to two feet and sometimes it's going to go to 15 feet. And it's like, oh, well, to you, it doesn't make a huge difference. If I hit a six footer and I hit a really good putt and one time it goes in and then one time it doesn't, everyone's like, oh, why did he miss that putt? And it's like, well, actually, I hit a really good putt and there's a heel print, there's something, and putting is such like a, such an art um, that I, I try not to add too much finality to what I'm doing on the greens, if that makes sense. Um, I was at the gym, and so I didn't really, didn't really know what was going on. Still, still don't really have a clue. It's interesting to me how the best of the best, because that last answer he gave was related to when he found out about the PGA Tour and PIF and the coming together and all the rest. The best of the best seem to have this ability to disengage, to disconnect to whatever's going on around them. Call it noise, if you wish. We just heard the same thing from Brooks Kepka. How about Colin Murakawa, though? Because coming in, all the players are going to be asked about it uh, this week, and he was asked about what is the thing, the one thing, if you would, that you want to know about. That's hard because I, I think for a lot of different parties, there's a lot of different reasons of why it's happening, right? So we all want to know the why, and that's, I think, we, we, we're so interested in the why, right? For us, like, for me right now, it's just like, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. But, like, we always want to know that why answer, like, wh what's the purpose behind it? Um, but I think there's so many different parties involved that there's too many answers to really put it into one underlying umbrella, right, of the why. Because I think what, you, what you've seen from the players versus what you've seen from maybe our commissioner versus the board versus um, Yasser versus Liv versus uh, there's, there's a lot of parties, right, involved. Everyone has had a kind of different answer and different, you know, reaction to all this. Um, so the why is, yeah, I think that's going to be very opinionated and I don't think we'll ever really get an answer. But we don't even know what's going to happen. So We'll get into that a little bit more deeply as the show progresses. But certainly, as Colin Morikawa aptly summarized it, the why is the essence behind all of this. If you want to know your game and you want to play your very best, then go see the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore. It is golf's happy place and it's where you can shop with the pros. A great place to get started is PGATourSuperstore.com. When we come back, we'll hear from more stars of the world of golf, including John Rahm, who had some pretty hard statements coming in. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. 
Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show as we are marching our way through U.S. Open Week. Absolute delight to have your company. So we're still hearing from a lot of players. And as you know, my philosophy is I love to know mindset. I love to know where, where players were mentally, physically, emotionally coming in. Now, the emotions surrounding this 123rd U.S. Open very much were defined by things that had nothing to do with the U.S. Open coming in. And that was the announcement that the PGA Tour, which had been in an adversarial position with the Saudi Arabian Royal Family's public investment fund, the money behind Live Golf, and there were suits going back and forth and more. The announcement was from the 6th of June that they would become as one. So obviously players are going to be asked about that, and that includes he who holds the course record coming into this week, a 61 shot as a college kid, that would be Max Homa. I, I know as much, if not less, than you, so I'm probably uh, not, not able to make a real opinion. Uh, it's a lot to take in. It obviously took all of us by surprise. Um, so, yeah, it's just... At this moment, it is what it is. I look forward to maybe learning some some more about it and, and what exactly uh, the deal is. Um, you know, I was on the phone quite a bit that Tuesday with players and a couple meetings, pack meeting, whatever, and felt like I learned a ton, and then everybody was in every article in the world. So I don't think I am 
any more knowledgeable about this. So making my, my opinion is, uh, uh, I guess, ever-changing. Uh, so I'm, it's actually nice to be as confused as I am here because I'm not really thinking about it anymore. I'm ready to go just go play golf. Yeah, I tried, but then I guess I realized it's so complex. I don't, you know, I need it. I need a lot more time than I was really willing to give to learn every in and out of it. So, yeah, I guess uh, I think we were all curious and we're all, I guess, skeptical of things or whatever. But I, I, I trust the guys at the top doing what they're doing. Uh, but, I, I mean, I guess... I'm just I'm a, I'm a lowly golfer here. I'm not a businessman. I don't really get how all of it works. And uh, the more I the more I've tried to learn, the more I've just gone in circles. So at some point, I just have to leave it up to them and um, wait wait for more information. I guess to come out. Max Homa, I think he's kind of echoing the comments of a lot of the top players in the game. Which, if you boil it down to a philosophy, it kind of comes down to that philosophy that I think. Tiger Woods ingrained in all of us as golf fans years ago, which is just play your best golf and everything else will take care of itself because no matter what happens in the game of golf in terms of how it ultimately manifests itself, they need the star players and that's who they are, including John Rahm. Now, however, John Rahm came across quite differently. John Rahm came across as though there was an edge there. There was an anger there. And I think it represented what a lot of players are feeling emotionally at this point in terms of what the questions are that surround. So here's John Rahm mostly talking about what did you know? How much did you know? When did you find out? What did all this mean? And then ultimately, how do you, how do you come into a U.S. Open week and block the noise? To an extent, they value player opinion. They've certainly heard us throughout the whole process and in some of the issues uh, but we're certainly in a spot in time where uh, there's a big question mark right uh, where we don't have the answers we would like so it's, it's hard to say well there's a lot of not answered questions uh, and it's tough when it's, you know, as a week before a major. I mean, I'm trying not to think about it as much as possible. Uh, I think it gets to a point where you want to have faith in management. And I want to have faith that this is the best thing for all of us. But uh, it's clear that that's not the, the consensus, right? I think the, the general feeling is that a lot of people feel a bit of betrayal from, from management. I understand why they had to keep it so secret. I understand we couldn't make it through a pack meeting with more than 10 minutes after people spilling the beans right away and some article about you guys already being out there. So I get it. I get the secrecy. Uh, it's just, it's not easy as a player that's been involved like many others to wake up one day and see this bombshell, right? So that's where we're all in a bit of a state of limbo because we don't know what's going on and I don't think how much is finalized and how much they can talk about either, right? So it's, uh, it's a state of uncertainty that we don't love. But at the end of the day, I'm not a business expert. Uh, some of those guys on the board and involved in this are. So I like to think they're going to make a better decision than I would, but I don't know. We don't, we'll see. Uh, there's still too many questions to be, to be answered. I was at home taking care of the kids. Yeah, no, I was just having my normal morning making coffee and, and breakfast. Uh, <laughs> And 
and and basically texts just started flowing in. I thought my phone was going to catch on fire at one point uh, about so many questions that I just couldn't answer. Right, that's. Basically, what it was. I think it was that day. At one point, I told Kelly, "I'm just going to throw my phone in a drawer and not look at it for the next four hours because I can't deal with this anymore." The state. Oh, what I. I mean, to be honest, I think a little bit in my case is perspective. Um, no matter what happens, whether I agree with it or not, the thanks to the PGA Tour, um, they give me a platform to play golf at the highest level. And after taking advantage of that possibility, I'm in a situation where my family and my kids won't have to struggle financially ever. And I don't know how many generations I can help if I do it properly. So I'm in a very high state of privilege in this world. I can do what I want. I can do what I love for a living. I have a blast every single day, even though I get mad on the golf course every once in a while. And... When I start with that point of view, no matter what happens, I can only be thankful to what's going on. And if things change, things change. I mean, I'm just, um, I'll have to adapt to the situation. And, you know, if I have to make some decisions on what's going on forward, I'll have to make some decisions. But it's just not, at the end of the day, I'm extremely privileged, whether the PGA Tour and Live Golf Align or not, or who plays and who hides who or who likes who, it doesn't really matter, right? I'm, um, I'm happy with what I am in my life. And every day in the morning when I look at my kids, I'm even more blessed in that sense. So it's an easy way to forget about what's going on when I look at it that way, right? Uh, I can see where I came from in Spain, especially every time I see my parents. I remember where we came from and where I'm at. And to be honest, all those possible issues seem like a very, very small issue compared to other things in the world. So, yeah, I just consider myself very privileged and, if anything, thankful to be where I am. Deep comments from John Rahm because you heard expressed in that clip that John put together for us both the frustration of how it went down, what went down, and inklings perhaps about decisions that he was otherwise contemplating to ending with him talking about what I would summarize simply as gratitude. Now, Patrick Cantlay, although Patrick Cantlay has this public persona of being slow and being measured. He's also a really deep thinker and because he's part of the player leadership. He was asked not only about the news of this, of this union between the tour and the public investment fund. He was also asked about another story that's kind of rolling around in this week because the USGA is one of golf's governing bodies to talk about the rolling back of the golf ball and how how that might impact the game of golf moving forward too. There's a lot to take in. Here's Patrick Cantlay touching on those subjects. As far as my role, I think it's my role to represent the members as best as possible and uh, to do right by them. And as far as the deal goes, I don't have enough information about the deal yet to have a unfavorable or favorable view about it. Yeah, it obviously pales in comparison when before it was maybe the biggest new issue um, we were talking about. We had a PAC meeting where the USGA came um, at Memorial to talk to us about it, and we had, a, had the club manufacturers and the ball manufacturers come in right after for the same meeting. And so um, that was, you know, 
tensions were high in those meetings. So, um, you know, but like I said, it takes a little bit of a backseat given all this other stuff going on. Um, I mean, both I think are really, really important. I mean, that sounds cliche or like underplaying it. I mean, they're of paramount importance because they affect every single, every single player on tour um, immensely. And so I think it's really important not to lose sight of both of the both of the big things going on in golf right now. And I think as players, we need to make sure that we have a seat at the table and understand what the potential changes are and do our best to, you know, uh, I should say for me personally, to do my best to represent the membership as best I can considering I'm on the policy board. Yeah, I know there's a, a policy board meeting coming up in a couple weeks, uh, the week of Detroit. So I hope to have definitely more information by then. And I imagine, uh, you know, after the meeting, I'll have, you know, far more information than I do right now. I think it's totally understandable. Um, I think any time that you're left in the dark on a decision that potentially affects you um, massively, um, that could easily make you upset. Um, for me, I'm like I said, I'm just trying to understand this deal as best I can or understand what's going on as best I can. It seems really complicated. And so I don't want to get ahead of myself and, um, you know, form an opinion like that until I know all the facts and, and know what it's about. But I understand that emotion, and I think it's totally natural and understandable. Do you think players who stayed loyal should be rewarded for that? In a perfect world, yeah. Current in the real world, <laughs> uh, I think the real the real answer is we'll see, and it hasn't been it hasn't been decided yet. Many questions still surrounding, of course, elements of the game of golf. While we focus on the game that's being played inside the ropes at this U.S. Open, you can focus on your game by logging on to DwizGolf.com. Know your game like you have never known it before, and make your feel real. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. 
DeWiz. Sold exclusively at DeWizGolf.com. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart. The decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. All right, welcome back to the Fairways of Life show, U.S. Open Week. So, yeah, the news, I, I, and I would say, did it come as a shock with the news that, that something happened medically with, with Jay Monahan? Yes, it came as a shock. Yes, it's a matter of concern, but I'm not sure how much of a shock it really was, given the fact that of everything that Jay's going through, he seems so stressed, Right. And we talk about it a lot through, through the course of life, that, that stress causes all types of things to happen. So this was Adam Woodward's article from Golf Week, golfweek.com. You can find it. He starts on Tuesday night. PJ Tour announced that Commissioner Jay Monahan is, quote, recuperating from a medical situation. He went on to say in the statement, the board fully supports Jay and appreciates everyone respecting his privacy. During Jay's absence, Ron Price, Chief Operating Officer, and Tyler Dennis, Executive Vice President and President of PGA Tour, will lead the day-to-day operations of the PGA Tour, the assistance of the great team Jay has built, ensuring seamless continuity. We will provide further updates as appropriate, close quote, for Jay Monahan, who is 53 years old. I mean, the only thing that, that with all of this, Dom, that I've been saying to you consistently, I, I forget how you asked me a question when we were talking yesterday, kind of our, our pre-production meetings, which we have multiple times a day. And Dom said to me, uh, you know, what do you think the, the risk is of, we were talking about the, the union, we were talking about the risk of it perhaps not happening. Nice blue top you have on there today, Dom. We just, we look like a blue blob on the, on the TV screen. So well, we coordinate very well. We always yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, we look like the entertainment. But my concern has been that I see, in fairness, Live and the Public Investment Fund, or if you will, their their chairman, Rasser Al Rumayan, uh, they haven't said much of anything. At least not by comparison. Obviously, the media has been all over the PGA Tour side, whether we're talking about Jimmy Dunn or whether you're talking about the commissioner. And what I'm sensing is, correct me if, if you guys disagree with me, and I'm, and I'm going to ask Dom about his opinion and, and those coming in on a, on a variety of different things, is that the tour, the PGA Tour, is engaged in a lot of what I would call posturing. And I'm not to, su- not to suggest that what they're saying isn't accurate in terms of, no, no, this is how the deal is being structured. This is what the deal means. 
But it feels like posturing to me, which I always say when messages are being delivered, particularly messages that have some degree of continuity to them, who's the constituency and what's, what's the motivation? So my sense is that the constituency and the motivation is first and foremost within. It's their own people that they're trying to settle down because obviously the tour players were angry. We heard at that players' meeting last week that somebody, and it's as best I can tell, it sounded like somebody kind of shouted it out that there needs to be a change in PJ Tour management and that there was a standing ovation from the players, right? That's what's being reported in multiple media entities of what took place at that meeting. Jay Monahan described the meeting himself as intense. That was his word. So I'm kind of getting a sense that There's this posturing going on that the way I'm reading it from a person sitting on the outside looking in is that it almost seems like the tour is trying to posture themselves to go, no, 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 no. In this this battle and the way that it was resolved, we won this one because we're going to have full control, right? They keep telling us that. That the public investment fund is a minority investor in this new entity and that Jay Monahan will be running it. But Yasser is going to be the chairman. And I've said from the beginning of this thing, I have found generally in business the golden rule holds. He who has the gold rules. So what I'm getting at in terms of the conversation we had yesterday was Don was asking me, you know, in terms of is there a risk moving forward? I said, yeah. I mean, if you're looking to partner with someone new, you talk about mergers and acquisitions here, right? If you're looking to partner with someone new on a major new entity in which, regardless of how much money that person has coming in, they're going to invest material dollars. Probably, safely, what, hundreds of millions? Maybe put a B in front of that in terms of, of what they build in structure. I just think, again, from an outsider looking in at the situation, as you posture for your various constituencies – which comes down to emotions. It comes down to winning over hearts and minds, right? I think you have to be a little bit careful that you don't offend your future partner along the way. Because even though it's about money and it's about the future and it's about objectives and it's about agendas and and all that, I get it. If somewhere along the way, the person kind of feels like, whoa, wait a minute. When we got together, this felt like we were forming a new partnership that was for the betterment of all. And now it kind of sounds like a takeover in which we, the one bringing in the money, are playing a minority role. So I'm just, again, I'm just looking at it from the outside, looking at it. We don't have answers. We don't even know what happened to the commissioner. I'm not suggesting that we have a right to know right now what happened to him medically. He has a right to his privacy. But it does, in my mind, raise one more question, which would be, again, if you're coming in as that new investor, as that new partner, I should say, probably a better way to phrase it, and you're coming in as that new partner, and you had identified the guy that you know, it's just like any other merger and acquisition. A, a big part of it is who's the management? Who's going to be left to run this new entity after we create something new? And if that individual is struggling in some way, 
and there's a whole myriad of different ways people obviously struggle. It can be physical. It can be mental. It can be a, a variety of things. Uh, if that person is in doubt, and I'm sure that the people on the inside have actual information, and I hope that whatever information they have, it appeases fears on all parts. I'm just saying it's, it's just one more piece of the puzzle that if you were looking to partner, w- would it have an impact on your mindset? Just just thoughts. So, Dom, what are you hearing from the people today? Good morning, Matt. Hey. <laughs> a lot going on. Uh, it feels like it's been like a year straight where every morning there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's almost too much going on. Um, the first thing I would say is we hope that Jay is okay, obviously. Yeah. And we wish him a speedy recovery with whatever it is that he's dealing with. Um you know, nobody wants to see anyone uh, ill or sick or have any issues like this. So it's it's terrible news that came came through last night, and we certainly wish him the best. Dom, what did you think about to what your... I just said, though, that while we obviously wish him the best and all the rest, and while you could phrase this as shocking news, is it that shocking when someone's under that much pressure? Obviously, I'm not a doctor, but I I, oh. I don't think it's well, out of bounds everything. to say that there's a good chance that whatever transpired was a result of the stress of this. I mean, this is can 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 you the people can you imagine the pressure that he is under right now from all sides? I mean that it's 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 crushing stress stress right now. And I'm sure that whatever transpired is probably related to that. And to your point, Matt, I do think that stress in this whole country and around the world, people, I mean, we have people checking in this morning from New Zealand and Morocco and all these places, which is great. We love it. Uh, but stress, stress is a killer, man. It's, it, it's not good for anybody. Um, so I, I, you know, like I said, I wish him the best, but yes, I do think stress plays a role. And, the one, the only comment I would have, and I am the, and I consider myself very much like the, the, the audience that we have that's watching and commenting, which we'll get to your comments in just a second. Um, I, I don't think that my opinion is any more valid than anybody else's. I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. But what I will say is, to what you were saying, I think everybody in this situation now has egg on their face. When the dust settles and all of this is in stone, in a year, in two years, who knows how it transpires as far as the U.S. government being involved and how long that could take or not take or whatever. But when the dust settles, I don't think there is really a winner or a loser anymore. I think that six months ago, you could argue, depending on what side you were on, that there was a winner or a loser or a good or a bad team. Depending on what side you were, you thought the other was bad, whatever. But that's there was... There was this, this narrative. I don't think there's a narrative anymore. I don't think there's a winner or a loser. Like, my concern is when the dust settles, everybody's a loser. Everybody's got egg on their face. There seems to be corruption and money uh, on all well, sides. Not, there's not necessarily problems corruption. everywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it corruption. I don't know about there that. Be a, but, there might be a but, collusion. Whatever it is, 
nobody's a winner here. And there's and the lines of good and bad or good and evil and right or wrong are all blurred. It's just an ugly mess. Yeah, and I, that see, was my part. I don't. In, I think it's too soon to come up with a judgment of winners and losers. I just think it's too soon. This thing has to play itself out. I have felt consistently all along that the ace up the sleeve of Jay Monahan is when he goes back to these players who are angry. We just heard from multiple ones going, yeah, didn't play out the way we think it should for for a, a, a league that is owned by the players, right, supposedly. So... But I think that what will happen is he'll eventually go back and go, okay, I know you guys were mad at me the way that it played out. We had to do it the way that we did it because we needed to maintain the secrecy of what we were working on because if we didn't, there were a zillion ways that the thing could have blown up in our face. So what I think he's going to come to him with is go, here's the way it's going to benefit you. And when it comes down to professional athletes, how are are professional athletes rewarded? Sure, it's wins and championships and et cetera. We know that, obviously. But those those are flash moments over the course of the season. You don't get those professional athletes in any sport on your team to lead to those flash points of joy unless you pay them. And if they're superstars, pay them a lot. And I still think that that's going to be the sleeve. When he says, you can be mad at me if you want to, but this is how it went, and this is this is how it worked itself out. And then they got to figure out all the other details of how do we get players that went to live to be able to come back to the PGA Tour again. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that want that pound of flesh, which I asked you guys the question in yesterday's show where there was, you know, again, I, I, think, I think part of it is posturing. But there were quotes attributed to, for example, uh, Jimmy Dunn, who was, who was once the chief uh, broker on the front end of this whole deal, where they're, they were talking in the context of, you know, the punishment for players that went to live. And I still scratch my head on that and said, but if they didn't go to live, ultimately would any of this thing that supposedly is for the grand benefit of the game ever have happened? So they're being punished for not being loyal, but if they had stayed loyal, then none of this would be taking place, correct? Which I get. Some people would be like, yeah, that's what I wish happened. Okay, but the people who are involved are telling us that what's coming next is supposed to be better than what we've ever had before. So I don't get the idea of the punishment. I do get the idea of saying, wait a minute, there's guys that were offered a lot of money and they didn't go, and the PGA Tour is apparently going to come out of this based on their own comments, again, reference earlier observations, as the predominant tour in the world which incidentally was a position they already had. But the question was asked, we heard Patrick Cantlay in the last segment where they said, well, what about the people that, you know, didn't go? What about the people that, that stayed and, and didn't take advantage of those hundreds of millions of dollars? Do they deserve some form of compensation as they phrase it for their loyalty? Because if all of them went, I'm not sure how much money the public investment fund was ready to invest in live if everybody exited to uh, live. Do they deserve something? You heard Patrick Cantlay, another one of the game stars. It was like, yeah. As he put it in a perfect world. Right? So I'm okay with if they, me personally, what do you guys think? I'm okay if they come up with some mechanism that said, yeah. You know, the way things played out, these guys got paid hundreds of millions of dollars. 
and they want to come back to the PGA Tour. Okay, I, I don't. I really don't have a problem with that, and I really don't see any reason that they deserve any penal action. I don't get the. I, I haven't had that adequately explained to me yet. However, I do think that those that stayed that showed loyalty, and maybe it's defined by look. Royal Rory said he was never offered anything. Right. So Rory seems, based on his comments, to be cool with the idea of going. I wasn't offered anything. I'm not expecting anything. Okay, but Rory, maybe you weren't offered anything because because you right from the gate came out of it and said, no, 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 I'm staying loyal to what I'm doing. We haven't heard a word from Tiger Woods, and he was supposedly offered upwards of $800 million. Right? Is he shuffling around the house right now throwing coffee mugs? I don't know. So... I do think that they could probably find some way, like I said, even if they went back and said to people in division, hey, were you offered any money by Liv? Just tell me honestly. Because early on, we heard all kinds of rumors of people. Completely unsubstantiated, but we heard them. So go down the list. Go to the, the Ricky Fowlers and blah, 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 and say, hey, were you offered money? And if they were, maybe there's a way you could find, a mechanism that you could find within that pays them back over time or something or gets them involved. Or maybe the Liv comes up and matches the offer. I don't know what it is. It, I don't. I don't know how willing their new partner is to writing that check. But referencing early comments, I just think you got to be careful when you've got a new partner coming in and you're doing your posturing for your various constituency. How do I phrase it? That you don't offend your new partner. That, that your comments that you're making publicly are consistent with how you define the relationship privately. That there's a consistency there and it's not just about the PR side. Right. What else you got, Don? So just to wrap a bow around some of this discussion uh, that you're you're having here around how this is all unfolding, because I do want to talk about the U.S. Open. It is U.S. Open week. It deserves a ton of coverage and we got a lot to go over. Uh, I got updated weather. We've got updated odds, uh, feature group stuff, tee times galore. I, I, I know you have some stuff about the golf course. It might be fun to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but just to wrap a bow around this, I'm going to read some comments because there's a lot of comments coming in with what you're talking about. And my question of the day relates to all of it. My question of the day is, when the dust settles, Put yourself on camera will here, golf Dom. be in a... Oh, sorry. You don't need me. What do you need? Because you're about to myself. give us a question of the okay. day. This is big news. Yeah. When the dust settles, will golf be in a better position than it is now? 84%. Yes. Okay. Optimistic audience, Matt. <laughs> yeah. 16% of, are, are concerned <laughs> about the future of the sport. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of the comments coming in here, I'll just uh, sort of scan through. There's so many coming in. We appreciate it. Uh, watch, subscribe, check us out. Bearers of life all over the digital stuff. And you can catch us on the weekends. Obviously, we have our national television broadcast. Depending on where the country you're watching, you know, you're watching whether it's on the West Coast or the East Coast, we're we're on channels all over the place. Um, all right. Uh, Daniel says, Jimmy Dunn acting as a hero, but nothing in writing yet. Uh, Death Rider 54. Ugh. Number one rule in business is follow the money. Death Rider says. Oh, that Paul was the name of the... I, I was wondering why you threw that in there. Okay, got it. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I'm giving the guy credit. Credit is where credit is due. Death Rider, 54. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Paul writes, they tried to destroy Phil, 
and I mean totally destroy him. So they should never be forgiven. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Surf sauce. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? what? Uh, the Phil comment. I'm just reading comments here. Uh, yeah, 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 comments. yeah. But I'm, I'm not, not... going to let that one go because because it's this this idea. I don't care if you're a, if you're an ardent Phil fan. You could love Phil all you want. What Phil said, what Phil did, his mechanism of doing it was identical to what he's done for decades. Phil is an incredibly intelligent guy. And the way that Phil played it out is what he always does. He lays a seed and then he hopes it germinates into a weed or a plant that will strangle out anything else other than that philosophy. Phil started with his interview with John Huggin of Golf Digest in Europe when he said that the tour was guilty of obnoxious greed. There is nothing that's come about as yet that has proven that the tour was guilty of obnoxious greed. He was talking about the tour and their stranglehold on the players' rights. It's television and video rights. There is no league in the world that allows their players to have television and video rights because that's how those respective leagues bring in the amount of money that they bring in to pay back to those same athletes. When he said the tour was guilty of obnoxious greed, his own live counterpart to be, he wasn't at the time, but he became one, Brooks Kepka said, um, I wouldn't talk about greed if I were you. To Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson laid low after that because it was the first time that Phil, over the course of decades, was unable to manipulate the message on the front end. Then it got worse. In February following, all of the information came out about his, what he thought was a confidential, he claims, conversation with Alan Shipnuck that Shipnuck was using for his book. So with all of the comments that Phil made, was Phil correct, yes or no, in the fact that the PGA Tour could do more and should do more for the players? Yes. Credit where credit's due. He was right about that. But if you pay attention... Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, many players were talking about the fact that the PGA Tour needed to be better with their communication, and multiple players talked about what more could be done. Did Phil and Liv cause the PGA Tour to make changes? Yes. Full stop. But what brought Phil down from his vaulted, worshipped hero status was not the fact that he criticized that the tour could and should do more for their players. That is not what destroyed him publicly, in, in, to use the terminology. What happened to Phil Mickelson was that he was revealed from his own comments that he was willing to go to whatever end he deemed necessary, even if he knew that it was a violation of his own morals, in order to achieve the ends that he wished to achieve. That's what brought Phil down. And I'm not even telling you that it's wrong that Phil did that because many times in business, that's exactly what's done. What happened with Phil, however, was he had a projection of a public image with the thumbs up and the smiling guy and nobody nicer than Phil Mickelson. Then you find out behind the scenes that there was a ruthlessness there that people did not expect, even though they should have looked back to 2014 and the way he handled the Ryder Cup, particularly with Tom Watson, which, again, someone could look at it and go, wait a minute, didn't the means justify the ends in that time, too? And they did. They changed. They fundamentally changed the Ryder Cup. But how he went about it was the Phil way. So Phil wasn't brought down because of what he did. 
Phil was brought down because how he was revealed, and that was of his own making. Are you uh, are you done there, Matt? I think so. I freaking read one comment. <laughs> can I? Can we hear from the people? Like, yeah. Like, like, just like, keep your feet off the soapbox. Just let me read like ten comments. Yeah, go ahead. And then you can unload after the, afterwards. Okay. You're not gonna love everything I'm gonna read because I'm just gonna read what the people are saying. All right, go ahead, go ahead. You know. 16% of them think golf's doomed forever. <laughs> no, that's so. again, Dom, just for clarity there, you, you can't criticize the 16% because that 16%, I could almost guarantee you, is basing their decision on moral grounds. The 84% are saying, look, you've got, you've got groups coming together. You've got a lot of money that golf is going to move forward in, the, in a direction where there's unity at the top of the game. And that's got to be better than the division that took place before in lawsuits and all the rest. And you've got 16 people that are saying, at what cost? Can I, can I read some comments? Yeah. <laughs> you got me I didn't even up. read a comment. I didn't even read a comment. And he went back on his soapbox. Okay. Andrew, mute him. <laughs> okay. All right. Surfsaw says the PGA Tour needs new management. It won't work with Monaghan and Dunn still in there. Uh, Kane Zhao Group says Hurley and Dunn are huge heavyweights. This deal will get done. There's so many comments coming in, so some of this contextually might not match with what we're talking about exactly right now, but. There are no answers because there is no agreement, Paul says. Uh, people commenting on the fail stuff here, continuing on. Yasser is a smart guy. Yasser has all of the cards right now, and he is playing them. But we win better golf. Golf 007 says, every time you hear a PGA Tour player say piff or PGA Tour merge, they have zero understanding of what has taken place. PIF is not a tour. They are an investment group that has golf product known as Live. Jimmy what? That's what his name's listed as. Jimmy what? Can I make a bold prediction? Let's hear it, Jimmy. Jimmy says, JM which I'm assuming means John, uh, Jay Monahan takes a bucket load of cash from Piff and then hands in his resignation due to bad health. Interesting. Uh, the whole reason we're here is because people want to hear from Matt and Dom. Don't ever cut him off again. Cut who off? We're the only two talking. <laughs> Andrew. We want to hear from Matt and Dom, but don't cut him off again. There's only two of us, Matt. <laughs> That's my favorite comment so far. All right, let's see here. All right. Um, Bob says, I love it when Matt's on his soapbox. Yeah, but I'm the producer. I'm concerned with time. Time constraints needs to be, needs to be reined in sometimes. Let's see here. Phil is a hero, period, Paul writes. <laughs> Bold statement. Phil is too honest, he says. Totally, totally correct, Matt. 
David said. This is the funny part about these, these, these comments that come in, which, we, again, we love it. But because they're coming in nonstop, it's hundreds, possibly thousands of these comments, man. They just keep going and going and going and going. I have no way of knowing at what point in time David wrote that or to what you're correct about. Right. So he could be pissed at you right now about something else that you said. But he's really he's, he's happy about what you said previously. Totally correct, Matt, he said. All right, I'm kind of done with this stuff about Phil. And the, the, Can we talk about the U.S. Open? Yeah, Let me let's, put up, let's I'm going uh, to I'm I'm put up some weather here. Wait a minute. Hold on one Look second. That. Dom, you hold on that. We're going to take a break here and come back because I want to I want to jump into U.S. Open. I'm tired of talking about the other stuff, too. I wish Jay Monahan the very best. We'll continue to give you updates of what's going on with his health as we learn more. The TravelersChampionship.com is the website that you can go to and get tickets for the Travelers Championship right now. They have all types of different levels of tickets available. We will be broadcasting live from the Travelers Championship in the week that is coming up. Cannot wait to get back there. It's one of my favorite events of the entire year. Uh, make it your favorite event, too, particularly if you're listening to us in the northeast part of the United States. Uh, it is a, a unique event because of the confines of this golf course. Yes, it was redesigned in the last 30 years, but the golf course itself on the property dates back to 1924. So it's very intimate. You're very close to the players, and they do a lot to have a lot of fun, including the the fan village that they have in the middle of what used to be the original uh, driving range back in the day. Travelerschampionship.com for more information. When we come back, let's dive into more of this 123rd U.S. Open. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. 
the Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. DeWiz, sold exclusively at DeWizGolf.com. Welcome back to the show, Matt. I uh, yes, I have to share something with you. What? In 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 most likely expected fashion. What does that mean? I'm an idiot. I can't read, and I'm apparently hated by the audience. That comment that I read that I was laughing. You were loved at. by the audience. That same Dom. person wrote back, and he said there was a comma, Dom. We want to hear from Matt, comma, Dom. Don't ever cut Matt off again. We're not here for you, Dom. We hate you, Dom. You're the worst. I there, get no one said that. No yeah, one claimed- he said it. No, Everybody he didn't say me. it. It's okay. They, they, don't, they don't feel it, and, and I don't mind, obviously, that you cut me off. It doesn't bother me in the least. All right, so when we were going to commercial, you weather. were going to talk to us about the weather. Anything of significance going on in L.A.? I got to be honest, no. And um, we've been doing this show a long time, Matt, and I can't remember – the last time we were previewing a major championship where the weather basically has zero roll. Uh, if, you, if you're watching, uh, you're looking on the screen there, that's the weather for the tournament proper, Thursday through Sunday night, morning, afternoon, etc. And essentially what we're looking at is 70 degrees with light winds and no rain every day, which is fantastic. Ooh. That's great. But it's kind of unusual, is it not? Could you it, could you give us those those uh, wind speeds? And do they break it down by part day part? Uh, they do. Um, so uh, it's you know Thursday a.m. Again, if you're watching us, you can see on the screen. But it's still for for those listening to us because this is also a radio show and a podcast. It's available everywhere. You can listen to your car, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the way it's broken down is Thursday a.m., Thursday p.m., Thursday night, and so on. Friday, Saturday, et cetera. Basically, during the day, it's 72, 76, 78, 74. It's 70s, mid-70s. The wind is south-southwest every day. And there are two different wind speeds on the graphic, if you're watching. That top one, there's two lines. The first line is the sustained speeds. And the second line are occasional gusts. And what we're looking at, essentially, south-southwest winds are eh, 3 to 10 three to eight miles per hour every day. And there could be gusts in the afternoons slash evenings for the the guys in the afternoon, especially on the weekends uh, for the final groups, 12 to 18, 10 to 15 miles per hour in terms of gusts. So that could play a role, Matt. If it's it's Saturday and the afternoon groups go off and it's 6 p.m. and there's a gust of wind that's 18 miles an hour, that totally could, could matter. Um, and make a difference in, in how they play and, and affect, affect play. But in general, I mean, we're looking at 0% precipitation, uh, light winds, great weather, sunny skies. Um, it's awesome. It's perfect weather. The, it's going to be great. And it also allows them to dry out the golf course, Matt, by the way, and make it more because, you know, they talk about browning oh, yeah. it out and making it, you know, firm and fast, et cetera, et cetera. The word, the word on the ground is that it's already becoming crusty, to use the, the terminology that has been reported back. Now, the sustained winds that, that you just mentioned are not an issue. The wind gusts from, from between 10 to 20 miles per hour, you're talking about for a tour player, 
somewhere between half a club to a club, depending on circumstance. But the the key part is that if the wind is south-southwest all week, then the speed of the winds is diminished in terms of its importance, meaning that the players start to get used to a south-southwest wind given the contours that they're playing into, the lines that they want to take, the particular holes. Uh, yes, it will be impacted, obviously, by where they cut the pins on a, on a given day. So, yeah, that's a very, very encouraging uh, piece of information. there. Now, Dom, do you have I, – I know you've been working very hard with, with Andrew and John and putting together all the graphics package. How about a, a sense of some of the big names in terms of when – what those – call it featured groups if you want to or, or – or, or marquee groups, when they're teeing off, if you don't have the specific times, just in general in terms of morning or afternoon relative to this conversation and more. So I've got all the tee times right here on the screen. You can see there all these people are in the U.S. Open, which is exciting, obviously. And then, and in each wave, if you will, there's always uh, some groups to keep an eye on. You can see there at the bottom at 1040 a.m., these times that I'm giving you are Eastern, for the record. These are Eastern times, so that's 7.40 a.m. Is it a morning? This is the morning wave uh, of the U.S. Open. 10.40, Bryson DeChambeau, Francesco Molinari, Terrell Hatton. 10.40, also Thomas Peters. They're all going off split tees, obviously, first and the 10th. You can see that on the left-hand side, 1 and 10. Uh, 10.40, Shane Lowry, Justin Thomas, Tommy Fleetwood. It's obviously another uh, blockbuster pairing. And then as you move further along in the morning, say again? Did you say Lowry? I did say Lowry. I know. I I can't even mention Shane Lowry's name on this show. Uh, The second chunk of of the tee times you can see on your screen there, Matt, Gary is 11.02 at the top. Gary Woodland, Adam Scott, Corey Connors, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, some, some serious blockbuster pairings oh, going on yeah. here in the mornings. And again, that's Eastern time, so that's 8 a.m. essentially. Oh, um, that changes everything. I already said that. God, you're not listening to anything I'm saying. All right, so here's the what afternoon groups. But the key is Nothing. what I'm saying say to that, Dom, is they're going to go out with fresh greens, low winds. Yes, all true. Uh, this is the afternoon groups. Again, you can see towards the bottom of your page here some more blockbuster pairings. Phil Mickelson, Padraig Harrington, Keegan Bradley going off at 3.59. Again, these are Eastern. This is all Eastern time. Uh, Alex Noren, Wyndham Clark's been playing well. I think he's in the top 10 in the FedEx Cup standings now, which is interesting. He's uh, and then the last page of the tee times here, you can see at the top, Again, more blockbuster pairings. Tom Kim, Sahith Thagala, Cameron Young, 421. Cam Smith, Sam Bennett, Matt Fitzpatrick. That's the traditional pairing, right, Matt? That's the USAM champ, the US Open champ, and the Open champ. Awesome. They always do awesome. that, right? Uh, Sam Burns, DJ, Keith Mitchell. There you see again, Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, 443. How about this at 454, Matt? Brooks Kepka, Hideki Matsuyama, and Rory McElroy in the same group. That time it you just gave it, did you give better. it? No, it doesn't. Did you give it to what? as an Eastern or is that local time? It's all Eastern. Everything is Eastern. All right, so those guys are teeing off just after lunch, so they are going to be playing through the afternoon wins. Because if it was for something Pacific time, which you still can finish with the no, light at not. this time of year, the winds tend to die down as you get later in the day. 
Not true. that I th- again, well, I just true. explained. I don't think the wins are going to be much of a factor, but nonetheless, what what wins there are. So one of the things I wanted to go over with you, Matt, and you can see uh, right there the broadcast coverage for the television times. But what I wanted to talk about, we just went over some of those tea times there and the big pairings. There are four featured groups, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, or I should say two in the morning, uh, one in the afternoon. Um, These are the groups that you can watch on the digital coverage. What you're looking at on television screen there, Matt, is the television coverage. What I'm going to be talking about here is the feature group coverage, which will be available on like the U.S. Open app. On, on the, actually, I believe it's the USGA app, the USOpen.com. It's going to be on Peacock. And All right. Well, hold on. Hold on one second, Don. Hold, hold on a second, because you just noted the fact that we're also an audio uh, program, a, ra- a digital radio program for many. So let's tell them what's on the screen right now. U.S. Open coverage on Thursday starts at 940 a.m. Eastern time on Peacock at 1 p.m. on USA Network, then at 8 p.m. On NBC on Friday at 940 a.m. on Peacock at 1 p.m. on USA Network and 8 p.m. on NBC Saturday at 1 p.m. on NBC Sunday at noon on Peacock and 1 p.m. on NBC. That's the graphic that we have up right now. Yeah, and what I was going to mention is the feature groups and I went over a bunch of the pairings there, but this is what you can watch in the morning. Uh on Thursday morning, I should say, Matt. Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, John Rahm. All of those groups will be on, again, those are like, they start around 11 a.m. Um, which How do you decide time, which so one to watch? 8 a.m. How do you decide which one to watch? Seriously, if you only had well, one Well, if screen. you have DirecTV, DirecTV, I believe, will allow you to do like a quad box and you can watch all this stuff. But... Me personally, I'll tell you the way I traditionally will do it is I will uh, download it onto my phone. It gets complicated here, Matt, but you asked, so I'm going to answer it. Yeah. I'll have the app on my phone, right, and I'll have the app on my computer. On my computer, on my lap, I go to watch, say, Colin Morikawa's group. On my phone, I'm watching Xander Shoffley, and then I cast my phone to the TV. So I've got a group up there. i got a group in front of me. Right. So I got both groups going at the same time. That's basically what I do. And then once coverage starts, yeah, traditional coverage, you know, USA Network, et cetera, I'll switch to that, and I'll have, it like, I'll have it, like, on my phone, a group, and then my laptop here, and then I'll be watching, like, you know, coverage on USA when it kicks off or whatever. Yeah, and then see, the afternoon I, I'll groups go just through, to put a bow around that. I'll basically do the same thing you do. Like, if I go to the gym, I'll have the earbuds on, and, and I'll listen to one of the channels. i got to make a choice. And generally, I will my, my decision is based on who's out first, who's on second. But the 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 player that that tees off first, so we so we have a sense of you know how they're doing, and then I'll switch to the other player. Now I'm, I'm talking about here like Morikawa, Scheffler versus John Rahm, for example. If John Rahm starts to make a birdie or two, I'll switch over to have a sense it's going on there in the middle of the day of U.S. Open Weeks, because I'm, I live in Florida, I'm definitely going to jump in the pool. And I, I, will, I will put it on. We have a, a TV that we mounted outside. Just take an old TV. TV is what, after you get a TV like five or six years old, it has it, pretty much no value left now. So we take it and mount it outside. It lasts as long as it lasts. And then we just keep rotating them from inside to outside. They last two to three years, I find, out there underneath the awning. And I'll on that, I'll be watching the 
either the streaming coverage, depending on, again, the criteria just laid out to you, or the network coverage once it starts to come on. And then in the evening, because it's a West Coast U.S. Open, we're going to have coverage until well into prime time. You're talking about, what, 11 o'clock at night that this is scheduled to go to? Yeah. Except for Sunday, they're saying 10 o'clock. But then again, you don't know because it could be a playoff, whatever. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about the that the way this this comes out. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you with that, but that was sharing no, that's some fun. Okay, I was I was just gonna wrap a bow around the feature groups, Matt. Um, the, there are feature groups again in the afternoon that you can watch, and those are going to be teeing off around four four forty four thirty ish Eastern time, and that's Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay. And Brooks Kepka, of course, Brooks Kepka, Hideki Matsuyama, and Roy McIlroy. Now, keep in mind they also have featured group, or fe- excuse me, featured hole coverage as well. If you're interested in looking at the holes, I think we have some pictures of some of the holes here. What is it? The sixth hole, I think, is one of the holes they're doing. That is this hole right here. Beautiful. Look at that. Absolutely gorgeous. So there's featured hole coverage of this stuff. If you want to watch that all day long. Um, which, again, could be interesting to see how guys play one particular hole, give you a sense of over the well, weekend. Well, that, that hole that's up expect. there, that hole that's up yeah, there, that, that's, that's the potentially drivable par 4-6. It measures 330 yards. It does yeah, obviously John present. John claimed in his press conference he was going to lay off every day. We'll see how that goes. It presents birdie opportunities either way then, but it is a risk-reward hole. Uh, because it's a blind tee shot for those who are actually attempting to drive the green, which is probably why John Rahm said that he was going to lay up. There's that barranca that fronts the green. It has the course's smallest putting surface, too. It's only 3,424 square feet. Yeah, it's all awesome stuff. And then we, you know, we got a lot of I've got a lot of stuff coming in here uh, about uh, players playing the golf course a certain way. And to that point, I wanted to throw up on the screen here. Throw up. We talked a little bit yesterday about it very briefly. Matt actually has, I guess what you would call, Matt, keys to, to, to you know being successful here. If you want to talk a little bit about what you think these guys need to do to be successful on this golf course. Well, as we just dis- discussed, this is a golf course that has greens of varying sizes, but the average green size is 6,366 square feet. That is small by today's standards. It is a traditionally designed golf course, even after the renovation with Gil Hansen Company, and you can see it in the picture that's there. See how the greens tend to be raised green complexes? This goes back to the Thomas original design that was their intent to bring back. So you've got small greens and raised greens, which means to me the first and most critical element of success at the Los Angeles Country Club is your approach shots. And if you look at leaders relative to approach, immediately in my book, it puts them up amongst the favorites for this U.S. Open. And nobody is better right now in that regard than Scotty Scheffler. So Scotty Scheffler moved to the front of the line. In that regard, Dom, go ahead and put the keys back up there again so we can run through them with people, if you please. Great shots here, by the way, showing, illustrating exactly what we're talking about. From there, it comes down to, for me, distance is always important in the modern game. 
you guys have probably heard over the course of the week that the rough is a Bermuda rough. It's a combination of strains of Bermuda. Uh, it's a Tifway 2 Bermuda grass and a Bandera Bermuda grass. Bermuda tends to, to grow with runners, and when Bermuda gets long, like they've allowed it to go, and we have some video that can show you just what happens, and this was, this was obviously recorded a few days ago, give it a few more days of growing. When Bermuda gets long, the bottom of the strain, unlike a traditional grass that you're probably familiar with, let's say a rye or a Kentucky blue, which tends to get long and, and starts to fall over, Bermuda doesn't tend to fall over. It tends to stay straight up. And when a ball gets into it, it tends to fall to the bottom of it, which starts to get thin and starts to become very much like exposed roots. So it doesn't have that soft suppleness of grass. It starts to get more coarse at the bottom of it. And the ball tends to fall all the way down because the bottom doesn't have that density anymore. So for me... Total driving is important because it takes in both length and accuracy. And when you talk about total driving, yes, you're still talking about someone way up in the rankings like uh, Scotty Scheffler, but it also starts to bring in other people like uh, Patrick Cantlay is a good example of that. Uh, John Rahm is pretty high up in that area. Both of these categories, when you're talking about ball striking, obviously someone like a Colin Morikawa is one to keep an eye on. I'm just giving you some examples because there are there are many people, if you start to go to these individual statistics, you can start to put together patterns. That's the reason why I've been saying all week, overall, I like John Rahm. And part of the reason why I say that is because of the bottom two in this list. But before we get to it, scrambling is important at a U.S. Open because the way that the, the USGA is going to set up these golf courses, particularly the collars, that they have allowed to grow in that are basically a, a, a chef salad of a lot of fescue grass in there. And this week, that's a lot more manicured in the photos than it actually looks like now. These collars on the exit side of these bunkers are going to be a huge issue because if you're trying to pop it out of a bunker to a tightly tucked pin relative to that bunker, and you don't catch it perfectly, you're going to find yourself in this just very, very difficult collar of rough that surrounds these bunkers. It is going to be an issue. So scrambling is another area that I like to say is really important, particularly at U.S. Opens, because look at that shot. Look at that. And that's going to be typical, and that collar that Dom was just showing in that video is, in most places, two to three times thicker and two times at least wider. It's going to make a huge difference. The next one I put down there, I put down simply because it's a U.S. Open. Strokes gain putting. It's a U.S. Open. The greens are bent grass. How many different strands of grass did I just talk to you guys about in the last five minutes? So the greens are bent, which means they're going to get them rolling as fast as they possibly want. And I guarantee you, by the time we get halfway through towards the end of the week, you're going to start to see a little bit of a purplish hue to these greens. Because they're going to get really hard and really fast. 
the next one, and this goes back to what I was talking about with someone like a John Rahm or even a Brooks Kepka. mental strength. Your ability to hang in there and work your way through circumstance that's devouring others that feel like fate has broke a covenant. And then the final element that I put in is current form. And you've heard that alluded to a couple of times, like when Don was talking about Wyndham Clark, a recent winner. Now, with Wyndham Clark, you haven't heard me talk about him in terms of one of the favorites yet because Wyndham tends to have issues with the putter. And at a U.S. Open, if you have an issue in one element of your game, it is more likely than not that it will be exposed. That's what they do. Matt, we got a lot of people coming in uh, talking about odds and, and, and this player and that player. I, I'm just curious. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you guys. We do have sort of some updated odds, if you will. These are the current odds right now. They've shifted. They've shifted. I would say dramatically since Monday. Yeah. yeah. Um, John Rom's getting in the just sense getting... that Rory's odds have gotten worse. Scotty's odds have gotten better, et cetera, et cetera. But. When you look at that list, based on your keys to success, if you will, Mm -hmm. you look at that list of players, I guess I have two questions. The first would be, who from that group would you anticipate is likely to have the best week? And the second question would be, is the winter, like, would you guarantee that the winner is coming from this this group on the screen? And I'll just read it quickly, the names for people who are listening. Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, Roy McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, and Max Homa. Those right now, by the way, are the best eight players' odds coming into this U.S. Open. The, just, just for the benefit, again, for those that are, are on the audio side listening to us, I'm just going to go through that one more time. Respectfully, Dom, and give the odds. Seven to one is Scotty Scheffler. Ten to one is John Rahm. Twelve to one is Brooks Kepka. Fourteen to one is Rory McIlroy. Sixteen to one is Patrick Cantlay. Sixteen to one is Xander Shoffley. Eighteen to one is Victor Hovland, and twenty to one is Max Homa. The you know for years the in any circumstance when there where there be name a player uh, that's going to win. Back in the day, it used to be Tiger or the field. The betting people always say take the field. They always say take the field. My heart tells me to answer your question that the winner is coming out of the group that you have displayed right now. Scheffler, Rob, Kepka, McElroy, Cantlay, Shoffley, Hovland, or Homa. My my mind tells me that it's going to be John Rahm. Even though Scotty Scheffler is in John Rahm's second in the odds, Scotty Scheffler is seven to one in the odds. My sense is is that Scotty Scheffler, because he's having issues with the putter right now, 148th we were talking about yesterday in strokes gained, is not even close to average. And Scotty has said, and you heard it from the sound that we played earlier today, where I love I love the way that he's protecting his his competitive armor uh, in, in his mental psyche where he's like, look, I'm hitting a lot of good putts. Maybe they're hitting a little, little heel imprint here or it doesn't it doesn't break the way I was convinced that it was. I'm hitting the putts on my line. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I'm hitting some really good putts. They're just not dropping. And at some point, we all know that that tends to shift and all of a sudden they start to drop. However, with Scotty, it's lasted over multiple events, which when it lasts over multiple events, with all due respect to his own protection of his own mental psyche, which I applaud, I still think that at a U.S. Open where on Ben Green's, 
especially with the, with like I said, the chef salad of grasses that they feature on this golf course, that putting will be too important issue. So therefore my feeling all week is, is that coming in the one that should be number one in the odds is Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka finished second tied alongside of Phil Mickelson at the first major of the year at Augusta national, which requires accurate ball striking, at least an approach into different sections of the green in order to set up in some cases, uh, a, a good effort at par in other cases, uh, an effort at birdie. Uh, obviously the greens at Augusta are lightning fast. Well, Brooks Kepka finished second. Brooks Kepka won the PGA championship. Think back to the PGA championship at Oak Hill. While a vastly different type of golf course, it was a Donald Ross golf course with raised greens, with thick collars of rough, plenty of speed to it, and he won. And he won in convincing fashion, did he not? So while this golf course is a mystery at large, because even those that have a history there, like Max Homa, who shot the course record uh, in his collegiate days in 2013, it's since been renovated. So I believe that Brooks Kepka should be coming in as the prohibitive favorite. That's where I think the odds should be on Brooks Kepka. And frankly, right now, Brooks Kepka, even at 12 to 1, is still a good get. And I'm saying that in the context that many of the companies will also pay out a percentage on a top 10, right? However, my, my, my gut tells me, maybe heart, if you will, that at the end of the week, that the one that's going to emerge is John Rahm. Uh, and I feel that way for a variety of different reasons, uh, not to take away from, from Brooks's mental posture because his is absolutely epic, where he just basically shuts down everything else. He just closes out all the noise, to use the phrase, and performs. So I think it's razor thin in my mind between Brooks and John Rahm. And think about if Brooks wins with a second with a win and then winning here, how epic that could be in terms of what it means. Because I think if, if Brooks wins this and he gets to Royal Liverpool, Royal Liverpool is a great venue for the 151st Open, but it's certainly not a course that I would compare with uh, Royal Birkdale or Muirfield, uh, Royal St. George's. I mean, I could go on. I wouldn't put it in the same category of those in terms of overall difficulty, which means that Brooks Kepka can go out there and do what Brooks Kepka does, and he's factored in multiple opens in terms of knocking on the door. We could see something historic. It literally would bring us back around to the Masters where could we see the potential of someone having all four major championship trophies on their mantle for the first time since Tiger did the exact same thing back in 2001 after he secured the Masters, which I still think that when it comes down to Tiger Woods, that is he has so many achievements that are remarkable, but having all four major championships in his possession at the same time, which detractors try to brush away somewhat by going, well, it wasn't in the same calendar year. It was, it was the, over the course of two seasons. Who cares? He had all four at the same time. Yeah, I think he did deserve a ticker tape parade in, in New York. You know what's funny about that, Matt? You're mentioning the Tiger Slam there. So, um, 
I'm not I'm not trying to pub your book. It's just my son Ryan is seven. He's obsessed with golf. And he's actually reading your last the last book you published. You've published like twelve books, but your last book was called uh, I think it's called the the golf round I'll never forget. And you focus on a bunch of famous rounds of golf or whatever. And in that book, it's a story about the Tiger Slam. My son was reading it. He's been reading it every night. He reads like a chapter every night when he goes to bed. And he came into uh, our room the other night after reading the Tiger Slam chapter. And, you know, he's still learning golf. He's still learning the game. He really loves it. He's totally obsessed. And he comes in and he said, this thing said the Tiger won all the majors at the same time. I said, yeah, he did. It was incredible. And he said, this is his, this is his quote, is that allowed? <laughs> Which it gives you the context for how insane that is. Even a yes. seven-year-old's like, "Is that allowed? That can't be allowed." Yeah, <laughs> they can't. You can't win all of them. Well, like I said, detractors try to brush it away, like it isn't allowed because he didn't do it in the same calendar year. And I'm like, yeah. "This is yeah, such right. a huge accomplishment." I really think. Can you possibly say that something that Tiger Woods did does not get the credit that it deserves? And I think that's it. It is so incredibly I think the remarkable. Is pretty incredible too. And I think it's Cut awesome that, that Ryan insane. is reading that. I, I, I will tell you guys that the, the publisher contacted me, and they want to do a revised version of that book. Do you remember when that book came out, Don? Was that three years ago now? I want to say 2018. You can look it up, folks. If no, no, it was, it was, it was after that. It's on all the It books. was either 19 or 20. I can't remember. But anyway, um, they, they want to do – because I guess the book's done pretty well for them, which is great. And so they, could do, they do this kind of new and revised – and so I'm in the middle of writing new stories for it right now. I, I've already I w- wrote one about Lilia Vu and her win at the Chevron and how she dedicated it to her grandfather and his incredible story of escaping Vietnam in a hand-built boat. And, and I'll give you one little tidbit to it that what, once I got into it and did all the research and contacted her and not that, where it kind of blew me away. So he, he was building this boat in the jungle. And I was like, okay, you build a boat. Right. Not easy. Impressive. But you build it and you put four or five or six people on it. He built this boat for 52 people. And when they put it in the water, other villagers found out what they were doing and in desperation swam out to the boat. They didn't refuse anybody. Anyone that went out there, they pulled him into the boat. The boat built for 52 ended up with over 80 people on it. They spent two days out in the sea on this boat that's now obviously over capacity, and the boat started to leak. That's all I'll tell you. I'll leave that as a tease. So that, that's the kind of stuff well, me, to me. So where, let me just read a couple more comments here as we're wrapping up about the U.S. Open, Matt. Um, Dom's like, keep, U.S. Open. Keep it on U.S. Open, in. Matt. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we've got, if someone said to me, this is from Neil. Here's $1,000 to put on one person to win, and you have to bet it all on only one person. It's Brooks. Hands down. His mental state is perfect. Surfsaw says, one of the best putters on fast greens is Cam Smith. Interesting. Uh, MBT3 writes, Bermuda has a canopy of grass where fescue grows straight up. The canopy can grab the club face and shut it down. Low left out of the rough if you're not strong enough. A lot of that's the stuff you were talking about. That, that's a, that's a uh, nice synopsis, here. though, though. It makes perfect sense. Yep. Uh, Golf 007 says players need to make sure they leave themselves at a good yardage to hit the green. Hence, par and bogey is good. Yeah. 
They need to avoid big numbers. That's always the case at U.S. Opens for sure. Mental strength, G. Willis says, wins it for me in terms of consistency and resilience. And David writes here, uh, Matt, he asks, Matt, Matt and Dom, like, like I matter, like, I, like my opinion's worth anything. Tom, said, our, Dom, none of our Matt. opinions mean more than opinions of everybody else, so it's all good. So if he's yeah, asking, he's asking. He's, he ahead. wants to know, David wants to know, what, what do we think the winning score will be? I'll give you uh, mine I, first. I'm going to say, I'm going to say seven under. Yeah, I was going to say 12. 12? Wow. You really believe in these guys. I do. Uh, there's a part of me that's rooting for carnage. Just a little bit. Just <laughs> a little bit of carnage. Wasn't that one I of do your... Enjoy, I do enjoy a good 10 on a par four. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I guarantee see, you we're going to see one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but again, I was talking about that yesterday. It's one thing I hope doesn't happen, and unfortunately it happens too often at the U.S. Open, where the setup of the golf course goes too far, and instead of rewarding the player that truly had the best overall game that week, we end up getting a champion that's influenced by just a twist of fate, just pure luck. And again, I realize that luck is an element of every win every week in the world of golf, but when it becomes one of the predominant elements, and a lot of times where that comes from at a U.S. Open is what they do in the green surrounds, the collars around the greens, where a great shot is hit that because of circumstance, because of the, how hard it got, it rolls off in a certain area that was actually designed to be a run-out area for chipping, and they grew, they grew it up so much that a player can't get up and down. They just bone it over the green because of the, because of the lie that they had. Yep. And people are coming in here. We've got uh, eight under, we got four under, we got five under 14 under Craig writes. Interesting. Nobody's over par yet. David says even par. All right. Even par is as close as we got. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, but we got even par all the way up to 14 under. That is a big range. (laughs) I guarantee the winner will be in that range. <laughs> it could be over, Dom. It's just uh, that's why I was curious if anybody was going to pick over par. It's just that I think when it gets to over par for the best players in the world, it's not totally about setup. There has to be other factors that kick in, and usually that's weather. Well, let's take one last look at the weather. I mean, everything kicks off tomorrow. Here you go on the screen for you if you're watching the weather. It's pretty solid. Very little wind, but it's going to be coming from the same spot, and it's 70 degrees and sunny every day. Matt, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about the U.S. Open starting tomorrow? Oh, I'm definitely 10. I think any time. There's only four times a year that we, that we have these major championships, and I've always, I've always said the same thing about it, that for adults, this is our Christmas Eve, right? This is, this is when we, we get to have this anticipation. And I was already explaining to you that for me personally, I love the timing of it because we'll have golf well into prime time. So whatever you do in your life, your job or, or things you need to get done, say on the weekend, you got plenty of time to do it. And then plenty of time to kick back and relax and watch it. Dom, I'll ask you the same question. And I will ask also ask you this question because you brought up Ryan and how, uh, how your seven-year-old is so consumed with the game of golf, which is awesome. Will he watch the U.S. Open with you? Uh, of course. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. I'll be, I'll be watching the U.S. Open with my son. Are you kidding me? That's I great. Mean, and I, it's kind of nice that Father's Day is pretty much always on the U.S. Open, too, to be honest. 
Sure is. Uh, great stuff. So we're really excited. We will be back with you again tomorrow. I got to do a quick little trip, so I'll be on the road uh, doing the broadcast, but looking forward to it nonetheless. We're going to have more sound for you coming in from players that are meeting with the media today. If we get any more information on the health status of Jay Monahan, obviously we're going to pass that along to you as well. The beauty of it is, is when we're with you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Fairways of Life show, play will not be underway yet at our national championship. We will still be ticking away the minutes and hours until the start of that. The Fairways of Life show is the only independent global live golf talk show that you can find any place. And that's why people are joining us from all over North America, all over the United States, all over the world. We appreciate it. We love you guys. We have so much fun doing what we do. It is absolutely an honor. It is the eve of the 123rd U.S. Open. Goodbye for now.